The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. The International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. One of the services IONS provides its members are monthly accounts of NDEs as written down and submitted to IONS by the experiencers themselves. I try to read these experiences as they come out, first because they are fascinating, and second to give everyone interested in NDEs and the afterlife the reminder that that IONS is well worth joining. This first report comes from the April 2019 email to members. In this account, a woman shares her death from an infection and her efforts to verify her out-of-body experiences afterwards. During her near death, she is given a powerful life review in which every relationship visited is reconciled during the review. During her out-of-body observations, she listens to a phone conversation between two people who love her, and she is able to move from one end of the connection to the other with no delay. She writes, At the time of my experience, I was a 31-year-old married mother of four. We were a healthy, active family, just returning home from vacation. A new school year was about to begin. My experience did not summon carts or paddles. It was a seamless event. My infection began with a sore throat and high fever, followed by doctor visits and then admission into the hospital. I became progressively weaker, having difficulty speaking and no appetite. Finally, I asked the nurse one day, I need to speak to someone. I don't think that I'm getting out of here. She replied, we don't want to hear that kind of talk around here. And out she went. Geez, I thought to myself, if I ever get out of this bed, I'll listen. The doctor was coming in two times a day, but one morning it was different. I had this incredible and overwhelming sadness. I could only move my head at this point. He stayed and he asked me to focus on his words. He was telling a story, and at first I was focused, but it was taking too much energy to listen. I could hear his voice, but then the words weren't clear. I relaxed, and all of a sudden I was on the ceiling. It was so smooth and so quick, and now I could hear his words clearly and understand what his story was about. Now I'm looking down at the woman lying in the bed, and I think, oh, I used to have a nightgown just like that one. Staying there and just observing, I could see a bald spot on the back of the doctor's head. He was crying, leaning on the bed rail. Then I figured it out. If I'm up here and she is down there, this can't be good. I realized this time that my sadness is gone and my sense of humor is back. I wanted to tell him that it was okay, but I am already going fast down the hallway and ending up at the nurse's station. The nurses were kidding around and one yelled out, Okay, today is Chinese food. You know what to do. Put your money in and write down what you want, pronto. She was waving an envelope over her head. Next, I found myself inside a phone booth that was built into the hallway wall. My husband was on the phone with my best friend. He was telling her what was happening. When she would respond, I would be in her office in North Carolina. When he would speak, I would be back in the phone booth. This went on for a while, and I was able to notice changes that my friend had made in her office decor. Next, I was in a large theater with a stage and velvet curtains on both sides. No one else was there. 
I was sitting in the middle of the row. I didn't know how I got there or why. I waited, and then one of my earliest childhood friends came out onto the stage. She looked at me, and she let me know that she loved the games that we used to play and all the laughs that we'd had. Then it was my turn to tell her how I'd always had so much fun, but that I was sad when they moved away. We stayed there until we exchanged love and admiration for each other. This segment was a much slower pace. A young boy from my block came out. I thanked him for teaching me how to tie my laces, and he let me know that he loved the running races we had. I was enjoying every aspect of this. I never knew who was coming out next, but each time it ended in giving and getting love. Later, an older boy came out. He was the bus monitor. He conveyed to me that I had caused him humiliation. I listened to him. He used to bully my brother, so one day I took his book bag and put it by the side of the house where the bus stop was. All the kids were playing. When the bus pulled up, the kids lined up and got on the bus. When it was his turn, he couldn't find his bag. He tells the kids, not funny. They squeeze the window locks and pull their windows down. I whisper to the others where his bag is, and they tell him. Soon he's walking toward the bus, and the kids are teasing him. I had to go into his body and look at the kids hanging out the windows and feel the humiliation as he did. He had to go into mine and understand my experience. I had to send him love, and I told him that I was deeply sorry. He sent me loving kindness. When this exchange was over, we both felt under, we both uh, felt understood and loved. I can't explain the depth of the healing. There were many more exchanges. All of a sudden, I was in a tunnel, moving fast toward a bright light, and I say to myself, Oh, I'm going home today. I get to the light, and there is a definitive edge, and it's clear that uh, this is where I'm stopping. There were no faces, no figures, only tiny light beams moving slightly, making up this bigger light. They let me know that my ancestors were here to welcome me today, but that my grandmother had intervened. I immediately think, oh, my grandma, and instantly they say, no, not that one. You never met this one. At that moment, I get uh, that they know everything. You were only here for a little while. You can't stay. You contracted in to help others and the children and get your Ph.D. Whoa, you must have me mixed up with someone else. School was a struggle for me, I replied. Then I hear back, that was then. I knew then that they had all the answers. I wanted to have questions. I'm thinking, just my luck, I get to a situation like this, and the only question I have is, why can't I stay? Do you remember that my body isn't working anymore? I know that I was there for a while, but I can only remember that they spoke about race, religion, and countries as a way of keeping people separate. They showed me a large room filled with people lying on tables with large cylinders hanging above them. There won't be any surgery. Light and vibration will heal their organs. Hmm. Suddenly I knew it was my time to go. How do I get back, I asked. They tell me, just go left. And I think, how is that going to happen since I always make an L for left? And I hear, there aren't any mistakes. With that, I am now in the kitchen in my home. The twins are in their high chairs and my older son is sitting at the table. My mom is there with them. 
I get the message, this is the place that I need to be. And with that thought, I'm back in the hospital bed. I could not move any part of me, but I could hear. I was trying to open my eyelids or wiggle my toes. Nothing. Soon after, I hear a woman's voice say, Why are you so sad? And the response was from my doctor. He replied with, We lost the young mom today. All of a sudden, I feel an ice-cold hand on my neck. I don't know what you were talking about. I have a pulse. I began my healing. I was in the hospital about a month. Before I left, I asked one of the nurses, Do you ever order Chinese food? Every payday, honey, she tells me. I gave her the date and asked her if she could check it out. If it's important to you. She came back later and confirmed that, yes, it was payday that day. Months later, I went to a wallpaper store and went through the books and found the matching wallpaper to my friend's office. I asked the woman for a sample. It's your lucky day. Take the whole page. We're getting our uh, uh, getting our new books in soon. I put it in an envelope and took it with me on my next visit. It was a perfect match. I got the courage and called the doctor's office asking for a consult. I told him that strange things had happened to me that day and that I can't explain. He told me he was not surprised. You were gone, he began. I've been doing this for many years. I had two other patients with what you had, an 11-year-old boy and a young woman. Both of them passed. I never told anyone. About three years later, I was getting dinner ready, and I put on Oprah. You're going to love the show today, folks. We have a young man who went skydiving, and he is here today to tell what happened. He will explain to us what they are calling a near-death experience. The validation was just as important as the experience itself. It was the rocket fuel that I needed to begin making changes in my life. And there ends that account. This is a shorter account. It's from uh, John Luker, who sent me uh, an NDE from his mom that she'd written down, I think, years ago. And she titled it, The Day I Died, by Sharla Luker. The date of February 19th, 1982, will be forever impressed upon my mind as the day I died, but more importantly, as the day I learned how to live. Early that morning, my good husband drove me to the Cottonwood Hospital in Salt Lake City for some uh, short-stay surgery. The procedure was to take 20 minutes, and then after an hour of recovery, I was to return home. However, shortly after I was anesthetized, I experienced a full cardiac arrest. To this day, the doctors are unsure of the cause, but they suppose I had an allergic reaction to the anesthetic. Since I was only 32 years old and in good health, this was entirely unexpected. As a standard procedure, I'd been hooked up to a heart monitor. When this monitor's alarm went off, the doctor, thinking the machine had malfunctioned, wasn't too concerned. He calmly checked all the wires, then took my pulse and found none. Doctors and nurses were yelling and flying everywhere. The anesthesiologist hit my chest hard. It hurt a lot afterward to try and start my heart and do chest massage. When that failed, they injected me with atropine, a stimulant. Again, the attempt failed to restart my heart. It was decided that since they had nothing to lose, they would inject me one more time before giving up. And this time they were successful. During the time that this was transpiring, I had what is commonly referred to as a near-death experience. 
Presently, I found myself in a room. I don't remember any walls or ceiling, but I was aware that somehow there were unseen barriers beyond which I knew I was not permitted to pass. A feeling of total peace and love surrounded me, the depth and extent of which is unfathomable in our earthly sphere. There are no words in the human language to justly describe the feeling of peace that permeated that realm. My only thought, my total concern, was that I be permitted to stay. At that moment, I wanted it more than anything. It was then that I became aware of the presence of a man. He informed me that I had to go back. But with all the fervor of my being, I begged to stay. The interesting thing about this communication was that it was not verbal, but intellect to intellect. A thought process so complete that the possibility of any misunderstanding was non-existent. Here in this earthly sphere, amid my precious children and husband, I find it incredible to believe that I did not want to come back. But at that moment, in that other realm, I wanted to stay more than I've ever wanted anything. In communicating with this man, I was given to know that it would be futile to argue or beg. So I acquiesced. During this experience, I found it interesting to note that I felt completely uh, as 100% me. That is, I was not someone's wife or mother or daughter or sister, just me. The man then told me that there were some things I needed to remember when I got back. First, that Heavenly Father wanted me to be happy in my life and to have joy, and that the power was within me to do so. Interestingly enough, this corresponded with a dream I'd had a few months previously. In my dream, I had died and gone to meet Heavenly Father, and he said to me, Well, did you enjoy your life? Did you experience happiness and joy? I responded, I tried to be obedient and live the commandments, but it never occurred to me to be happy. And then the full realization hit me that if I die not having experienced joy in living, I'll have no one to blame but myself. Literally, man is that he might have joy. The second thing the man told me was to love and serve my family and stay close to them. Much of my joy would come from this. The third thing was that Heavenly Father loves me personally and individually and completely. This last one really overwhelmed me. The man then gestured gestured to a cylinder or tunnel-like object and indicated that I was to pass through it in order to return. I protested that I wouldn't fit, and he assured me that there would be no problem. As my body passed through the cylinder, I experienced the most total and excruciating pain. The best way I can describe it is like having labor pains in every cell of my body. Even my hair hurt. The moment that my body was completely through, I became conscious on the operating table. My opinion is that in passing through the cylinder, my spirit was going back into my body. During this process, I was screaming in pain although I don't know if it was audibly or just in my mind. At any rate, I came to and heard the nurse saying, It's okay. You're going to be all right now. Everything's all right now. Let me say here that my entire near-death experience only lasted a couple of minutes. But if I had to put a time on how long my experience in that other realm lasted, it would be nearly impossible. It seemed like hours. But actually, it was more like there was no such thing as time. 
It literally did not exist. It felt like I had all the time in the world, or eternity. My near-death experience has truly been a blessing to me in many ways. I hold no fear of death, but more importantly, I cherish life. Each day is wonderful. Each person is precious. I'm more aware of beauty in nature and relationships with people. My priorities are more firmly established now. It's wonderful to realize my true worth in the sight of God and to have a knowledge of his love for me and for each of us. I truly know that he wants us to experience joy. Also, I have a great desire to learn to gain knowledge. More than anything I know, the, the main purpose of our existence is to do with loving. We are here to bless the lives of others, and the best way is through our own unique abilities and talents in little ways, day by day, without comparing ourselves to others. My life must be my answer to the question that I think will be asked of each of us on that final judgment day. How much have you loved? I'm thankful I was given a second chance to better answer this question and to do all in my power to experience a peace and love that is truly not of this world. And our third account today is the account of a shared death experience written by a woman about circumstances that took place around the time of her father's death. Several experiences around that time provided her with a new understanding, not only of death, but also of her deceased mother with whom she'd had a difficult relationship. While at a distance from where her father's body lay dying, she perceived the light come for him and she entered into the love and understanding of the realm he was being taken into. Although she did not follow him into that realm, she was left with a higher comprehension of that love of our earthly life and also of her mother who had come for her father. After recounting these events, she shares the forgiveness, acceptance, and joy that unfolded in her life since that time, as well as some of her search for answers as to what happened to her. And this one, this uh, account comes from the March 2019 mailing to IONS members. She writes, My whole life changed when I followed my father to heaven and experienced a glimpse of the divine. Up to this point in my life, I had not been a believer in God, neither was I an unbeliever. I was content living my life without any kind of uh, faith in a life beyond this earthly realm. I was busy with my career as a journalist and my roles as wife and mother. My father's death turned my world upside down. I had a near-death-like experience accompanying him partway on his divine journey. Many people doubt the truth of near-death experiences, citing so-called scientific explanations of patients near death having hallucinations due to lack of oxygen or having other brain chemical changes when death is near that produce false images. But I was not near death myself when my father passed over. Neither was I impaired by drugs or alcohol or anything else that might cause false perceptions. What I experienced that night, when everything changed, was the truth. All else in this world revealed itself as illusory. Here's how this extraordinary revelation unfolded. I knew my father had advanced prostate cancer for which there was no cure, but I refused to accept that he would die. He was my lifetime hero, my font of unconditional love, and I could not imagine my life without him in it. 
Certainly I was troubled by his illness, but I fooled myself into thinking there could be a treatment that would allow him many more years of life on earth. One morning, as I readied myself for work, putting on my makeup at the sink in my bathroom, something something shocking happened. My husband had already left for work, and my children were in school, so the house was unusually quiet. As I applied my lipstick, the entire master bedroom was enveloped with a fragrance so strong, so unmistakable, it shocked me to my core. It was the unique smell of my mother. I didn't know on a conscious level what my mother had smelled like, but subconsciously the connection of the baby to the mother was cemented by smell. I knew without a doubt that my departed mother was trying to reach me. I put down my lipstick and sat in a nearby chair, completely stunned. What did she want to tell me? I opened myself to receiving her message. She told me three things. One, your father is going to die very soon. Two, there is nothing you can do to change this. And three, I'm going to help him. And then the fragrance withdrew quite suddenly. My mother had not been a very loving presence in my life. When my sister and I were young, she hit us when we misbehaved. She didn't just use her hand to deliver a spanking. She struck us with sticks, hairbrushes, wooden paddles, and more. We were afraid of her anger toward us. She was frequently drunk and sometimes disappeared for periods of time. I remember her passed out most days when I came home from school, but she always put herself back together in time to prepare a nice dinner for my father. She was always attentive to him, but at times neglectful of her children. Her mean-spiritedness reached a towering hatred toward me one afternoon when I asked if I could visit a friend. Her smile curled into a steer as she spoke to me. Dear Susan, aren't you the lucky one to feel loved and cared for every day of your life? Her voice got low as she snarled. It's a lie, little girl. I've never loved you. Not then, not now, not ever. Now leave me alone. I was devastated. Was this the truth? Even if it wasn't, what mother would ever want to deliver such a hurtful message to her child? I cried. Now I am an adult with children of my own. My deceased mother had come, has come for a visit. She's just delivered an unexpected and unwelcome message to me about my father's impending death. Was she singling me out yet again for her uncommon cruelty? This, this felt very different. On some level, I knew she had delivered the truth to me, and it broke through all my defenses. I sat there and sobbed for a very long time. The following week, I had a vision of experiencing my life flashing before me in fast rewind, showing me that every decision I ever made was perfect for my journey and totally understandable. I never made a a good or bad decision. The experience felt like a kind of purging of shame, regret, and unworthiness. All things were as they should be, and I need not guess, uh, not a, not, and I need not second guess any decision I ever made. Two weeks later, my father was hospitalized, and the siblings and grandchildren gathered by his side in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where he had lived for many years. On the third day of our vigil, we could see that Dad was deteriorating. He floated in and out of a coma state much of the day. When it was time to go back to his condominium for the night, I lingered at my father's bedside. I love you, Dad. And in a strong, clear voice, he answered back, I love you too, Sue. The children and the grandchildren settled in for the night. 
My sister and I shared a king-size bed in one of the two condos my father owned. I couldn't sleep, but I was not anxious or upset, just quiet and calm. I could hear my sister snoring quietly beside me, and I knew she was sleeping. And then my mother, for for telling, and then my mother's foretelling unfolded in sights and senses I didn't know I had. In the stillness of the night, from my father's condo, I saw him in his hospital bed with a gathering light coming to the upper right side of the bed. He was very frail. The, the gathering light was beyond words, inviting, intense, pure, a light unlike any I had seen before. I became aware of movement within the light and focused on that. I soon saw that my mother was in the light, was part of the light, and that this was the light of life itself, the light of God. She was more beautiful than any woman I had ever seen before. There was a purity and innocence in her essence. When I saw her this way, there was, in an instant, complete forgiveness for anything I might have perceived as hurtful about her behavior on this earth. When I saw her in the light, she was holy. And this was the truth about her then, now, and forever. I knew in this awareness that God is real and his love bigger and mightier than any concept of love I had ever had before. In the earth realm, I could not conceive of a love like this, but in the light beside my father's bed, I understood a love beyond earthly perception. I also understood from my mother and God that we are here on this earth for one purpose, to love one another. We have made this life journey on earth so complicated as humans, but in the divine light, I understand that everything was truly simple. There was no sense of time in this vision, only an imparting of pure truth all at once. I saw my mother reach out to my father and lift him into her light, cradling him in her arms. Then I saw the light begin to fade and disappear from my vision. I then saw with my body's eyes that I was in the bed in my father's condo where I had been before the vision my sister next to me, still snoring. I glanced at the clock. It was just before midnight. In an hour or two, the phone rang, and it was the hospital telling me that my father had died. The nurse asked if we wanted to come view his body before they took it to the hospital morgue. So at about 2 a.m., we all, my sister and her daughter, my brother, my daughter, and I, got in the car and drove to the hospital. We gathered around his body and said prayers of thanksgiving for his love in our lives. A nurse came into the room, and I asked her if she knew what time my father had passed on. She said she had come in to check on him just before midnight and could see that he was near death. She left him alone and returned at 12.15 to find that he had died. Then I knew that my vision was real, and I began to sob at the sudden knowing of so many things, Mother had said she would help my father, and she did. She was holy and pure and a child of God. God is love, and love is all. Our purpose in this realm is to love each other. Faith and the truth had come to me like a bolt of lightning, and I was forever changed. After my father's death, my sister became estranged from me. I did not understand why she despised me, but she made it clear she did not want me in her life, though I tried in letters and phone calls to reconnect. I was very distraught by her hateful attitude. What followed this revelation was a two-year period of what I have come to understand was grace. I was in tears most every day from the joy of the world I was seeing with new eyes. I saw the preciousness of everyone, including high school students in a class I taught who had been deemed troublesome. 
by the school administration. I joined a church. My son and I attended Sunday services each week. I cried at the beauty I saw in the people and in their rituals. I began to have some insight into why my husband's first wife was so mean to me. She saw me as a threat to her as as a mother and feared she could lose her child's uh, her children's love because of my presence in their lives. This was utterly baseless, but with this understanding, I was able to marshal some compassion toward her. I only told a handful of people about my huge revelation, even though I wanted to shout to everyone, there's nothing to fear in this world, there is no death. I realized I could not give anyone the divine experience that changed my life, and that some people would think I was at best quirky and at worst insane. I especially didn't tell my sister because she was in such a troubled state. My story would only pour fuel on the fire, so to speak. She neither wanted nor could accept any comfort from me for some unknown reason. I went to a healing service at church with a laying on of hands. I had been quite troubled by my sister's feelings toward me and had prayed she would come to her senses. At this healing service, I decided to change my prayer. I asked God to help me surrender my pain about this relationship and accept my sister's decision to cut me out of her life. I waited in the line leading to the altar for my turn to kneel there and let a healing helper lay hands on me. I did not expect anything to happen to me immediately, but it did. As this lovely churchwoman put both her hands on my head, I felt a gentle heat surround my head, a feeling of heat and light which filled my mind with awareness and took away all the pain I had felt about my sister. I experienced a miraculous, instantaneous healing. I left the church feeling a great lifting of a burden and a beautiful sense of peace. It has been 20 years since all of this happened to me, and here are the things that I gained. Rock-solid faith in God, no more fear of death, more loving and accepting of my brothers and sisters, an understanding of the importance of forgiveness, a knowing that love is all that is real, a deep gratitude to my Creator for all that is holy, more joy and more peace, more contentment, and a grasp of a beautiful concept that giving and receiving are one and the same. And that's where that account ends for today. Well, thanks for listening. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org and hit the Past Shows button. And for information about IANS, go to their website at iands.org. And be with us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.